0: I'm Nathaniel Chalabar and you're listening to From the Rookery end.
1: End of October 2012. We're three lifelong Watford fans, seats holders in the Rookery end. Except today, Mike, you're you're not in the uh, in the Rookery end. I'm in the exact opposite, (laughs) Vicarage Road end. Yeah, it's it's family day today. It is. And how many parkings have you brought with you today?
2: Well, there's uh, there's 11 of us all together. Sort of, uh, I've got my mum, my dad, my brother and sister who are twins, my son, my daughter. My partner and two of my nephews and one niece. So, so it is the parking. I think we could field a team. I think well, that's Park 11. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think we could field a team that could probably do better.
1: <laughs> <Bob Christina. laughs> and of course, we're joined by Jason. Hello. At half-time here, during Watford nil, Peter and nil as it stands at the moment. But Mike, you wouldn't want to completely change that team. It wasn't that bad, was it?
2: No, I think they're doing what they are doing is hanging onto the ball quite well. Watford are seeing a lot of the ball, but it's what they uh, what they do with it. That's the uh, that's the issue. Um, again, we're, we're a day when people would be looking, you know, it's a full Vicarage Road. What's nice sitting down the Vicarage Road end is looking over a full Rookery end and a full Rouse. So it's quite, the ground actually looks quite nice. Of course, we've got lots of fresh-eyed, um, excited, potential new customers here today. And I think they'll just be wanting to see that little bit extra, that little bit, that final touch to, to add to the add to the possession. And uh, one, I think we're one touch, one ball, one bit of movement missing.
3: I think right, he's, he's one ball it's that there's a lot of diagonal balls right to left they're trying to beat that last man trying to beat their right back and it's not quite happening at the moment they're, they're, they're win- Peterborough are winning the, those, uh, those
1: defensive headers and those defensive tackles every time down there I, I just like the fact that we've gone 45 minutes and not had a player sent off
2: <laughs> Just make a nice change and it would it? it, be
1: good to see a, a 90 minute game with 11 Watford players on the pitch but you never know Something working up in the second half um, what I do want to talk about is the, um, is, you know, since our last podcast, we've seen this, this, um, this 3 this three-five-two formation. John, I knew you were going to ask this. We've done this already. Me and Jason got it lit. We
2: bumped into uh, David Cameron Walker from the We Are Going Up podcast. And John, you couldn't be bothered to make it, so we got David in instead and we had a little chat about this. We've done it, mate. Oh. Oh. Sorry. We're at the valley. It's half-time at the valley. It's one-all between Watford and Charlton. That doesn't tell half the story. Forestieri sent off for, a, for encroachment at a free kick and, um, and a dive. And simulation, yes, as it's known these days. I'm joined by, by Jason and also uh, David from the uh, We Are Going Up podcast. Lovely to have you here, David. Thanks for joining us. Um, it's a bit. We thought we'd talk, have this conversation at half-time because the formation is now going to change again. After for the first time this season, Zola playing the same team second two two games in succession. Now he's going he lined up three five two again. Uh, we did so in Huddersfield. We started off that way today. How do you think that's, that that's gone so far for us?
4: Uh, I think it's a reasonably sensible move. Uh, it suits our players. We don't have many natural wingers as such in the team so to get the width from Pudil and Cassetti who have struggled at times I think of you know in a flat back four it makes sense for them to play wide but unfortunately like I think like Huddersfield did early on on Saturday and Charlton early on here today they push their wingers up against us which negates our you know our ability to get those two players forward and we end up playing almost a flat back five so when we've got the ball I think it suits us but when we haven't got the ball I think it's you know it does restrict us a little bit as well uh,
2: Jason, as, as David alluded to, Charlton are really, really pushing up on Watford, and had, as such, we're finding it hard to to find any space at all. Yeah. How, do we, how do we change that? Is, is yeah, that just well, a byproduct of playing three-five-two?
3: I, I think it is, and, and the fact that we're playing patient football as well, we're having to be patient because we can't get out quickly. Certainly, Cassetti isn't going to get out quickly from the, from the I mean, It's hard to see how that three-five-two formation actually suits him at his age. Um, at times we've, we've looked okay with the, the patient football where we've sort of tried to get behind but we haven't created too many uh, chances, we haven't caused the keeper to work that much um, and at times we've given the ball away in the middle of the park where we better come inside, uh, Chalab has either overrun the ball uh, or played his pass too short on what is a greasy surface. Um, how we change it to to get it forward quicker I, I don't know
2: it is I don't think it's going to be a case of like that now that we're down to 10 men it's going to be hard work no obviously this uh, the rest of this game is now going to be very difficult and a point would be would be a good result in terms of the of the, of the season going forward I've got two big questions, it Is if when John Eustis comes back, obviously an important player for Watford, how will he fit into 3-5-2 and are we going to stick with 3-5-2, David, what do you reckon?
4: Well, whether we do or not it remains to be seen, but I think it'd be sensible to do so, because the big problem we've had so far this season is the team has changed a lot, the formation hasn't always been the same. You know, we, need, we need a bit of consistency, we need the players to develop an understanding which is what we've been so sorely lacking so far. Eustis, He's been fantastic for, us for a few years. He's not getting any younger. I think he might have to accept that he, he may have to battle for his place with Hogg because Shalabar, from the first time I've seen him tonight, he looks excellent, only 17. He's only going to get better as he gets more games. And we've seen the quality that Abdi has as, as he gets more into English football and into the team. I, I wouldn't drop him either. So I think you know Hogg and Jussis are the two that will be battling for that third spot in midfield. And uh, you know I think I wouldn't necessarily be... I wouldn't necessarily put Yusuf straight back into the team as soon as he becomes fit, I think he needs to earn his place. Jay,
3: should you go along with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely agree. I, 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 I gave Chalmers a bit of a hard time about overrunning the ball and playing his passing short, she has been, but in the games that we've seen him, he has come into the side really well and he has looked to class act. Uh, I think a few people complained or moaned about us signing another player on loan when we got him on loan from Chelsea but it looks like he's going to be a big part of this team this season and it will be hard for Eustace to get back in the side. Which is good, competition for places is oh, what absolutely. we want. So, uh, i sorry, I was going to add as well. Hogg that makes nice to, change, Jay, so he yeah, me. <laughs> he does, he does. Um, Hog's looking better as well now. I think early on in the season, Hog seemed to be struggling to adapt to this uh, new way of playing football, whereas recently he seems to have got used to it, which was only going to happen, I guess. Um, and yeah, so because of that, you is going
4: to find it hard to get back in the team. A podcast made by Watford fans fans for Watford fans from
1: the rookery end. Look, I don't, I don't care if you went and did the podcast without me. Later on in this podcast, Michael, I, Jason, yeah. I, on my own, speak to Nathaniel. Man of the match. Man of the match. Which, right. No, you so sure? With.
4: I've, he was announced as man of the match. I've, I, Nathaniel, I've my Nathaniel my.
1: Chalibur. Chalibur, yeah, The new... Wonderkid. What well, and he is. He's what? 17 years old. He's 17 years old. So I get to speak to him, but that's kind no of I, later no on. team, John. No, know, as Watford
2: pointed out, Watford made very clear this afternoon. Well, they we, battled on. We've just seen... seen Wat- as a team,
1: John. OK. We've just seen Watford win at home. First yeah. time since Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, a final score of 1-0. Uh, a, a penalty was the decider. Yep. Um, Mike, unfortunately, for you, the fact that you've been at the other end of the ground, you wouldn't have seen the plethora of chances that uh, one little Italian Airy mate Jason he was uh, he, sh- he could have scored five he, he
3: had quite a few didn't he all, all created some as well uh, the chance for Vidra where he sort of broke well, we broke from a corner and his pace to win that ball mm. he's literally run from one side of the pitch to the other and then sort of break up amazing I mean, it's a shame Vidra couldn't quite make his
1: mind up as to what to do could he, he sort of took the touch to sell the defender and it well we, we, yeah, we were discussing before you turned up Mike um, we, were, we were just saying how in the last podcast we said defensively we're not quite right, mm-hmm. and, and attacking it's it's lovely stuff going on, but nothing sort of final. Let's 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 from the back to the front. Defensively, what we're, we are definitely more more solid back there.
2: Yeah, I think Fitz Hall's come into the side over the last couple of games, and I think he's he's looked good as as we hoped he would. Mm. A lot of people worried that he's only here for his sort of last paycheck sort of thing, but no real sign of that for me. He's uh, he's slotted in nicely, and so I think they're starting to you know starting to look a bit more solid um, Cassetti a lot of people had reservations about him but I think now we can see his function in the team you know he's that, that, that going forward mm. side of things and and getting in good positions in and putting good delivery in that's what he's there for didn't quite that to happen so much again in the Peterborough game but starting you know little things like that are just starting to kick into play so yeah defensively reasonable Lloyd played today looked yeah, good. yeah he did he
3: came in and did well and you, you talk about um, Fitzhall and I challenged all that, all that man of the match uh, selection earlier uh, Fitzhull for me was man of the match today I, he, he covered everything at the back there I don't think he put a foot wrong he was absolutely outstanding today
1: so that's happy there midfield hasn't changed a huge amount but it's just there's five of them there in that midfield uh, sort of bombing forward but we know Cassettis done really well i sort of see a little bit of cassetti the fact that he is the he's italian he is he's played the system and he played wing backs for a long time a lot of the Watford players and you know old and young haven't and he's almost maybe he's just come into that that squad let's say to be the 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 elder this is how we do it lads yes. this is this is the system i think um, i think that's when a, that, a defining sort of character
2: i think you've hit the nail on the head when things don't go quite right i think that is because some of the less experienced players, some of the players who have been around perhaps lower league football perhaps aren't quite in tune with, with some of the rest of the guys and that's when it breaks down a little bit, that's when it can be frustrating but slowly, slowly, slowly what the, you know, for seem to be showing more glimpses week on week you know, it's really hard to judge. I was thinking on the way here about how we're going to look back over the last month. And, of course, the last two games, we've gone down to ten men.
1: Well, and we um, haven't we had to judge them, really, have we?
2: So it's really hard to make a judgment against matches like that, which, uh, which turn into sort of one-off battles, mm. really, don't mm. they? But, you know, let's not beat around the bush. The first half today was quite poor, I think, against Peterborough. But it was controlled. It was like... Uh,
1: it was right. nothing, nothing happened with it, Jason, but we were controlling the position. Yeah, so it comes
3: back to... Uh, point I've made before, I think, where it was it was too slow. When we've got the pace of Forestieri up front, why can't we, we move the ball quicker and get it out to him quicker and break against these guys? If you slow it down, it gives them a chance to get back and sit behind the ball, which yeah. a team away from home are going to be happy to do. So I'd like to see it as it was in the second half, yeah, when we were counter,
2: counter-attacking really quickly. from the, Literally from the get-go, mm. from the kick-off, it was almost as if someone something had lit something yeah, turn, yeah. Oh, yeah. in fact I'd like
3: I'd, I'd like to sort of put my hand up here and say I think at <laughs> half time I said about those diagonal balls that were going over the top that weren't beating them the, uh, the right back uh, Jason, Jason very back.
1: smugly went after that first chance yeah, that, it was a rubber, it? he went over <laughs> and he got over that that that, that, that full back uh, Beat, and then Forestieri beats him. He goes, see, see,
3: He, <laughs> <laughs> he played over the top. got in His shot was blocked. Chalabar great save from the keeper. You have to say that. Want save that was yeah, that yeah. was going top corner. Well, all that, over the top. The, and he
2: made it. But the start of that second half, I think, showed what what this Watford team is capable yeah. of. I mean, I didn't realise this. I got a text from a friend well, who isn't 18, isn't here saying that we had 18 shots. Really? None of them on target. <laughs> <I suppose. laughs> but we, we were, cre- you know, we started to create and gave them plenty to think about. But, it. It didn't, you know. They came into it ten minutes to go. It looked like it looked like there was probably only going to be one winner. It wasn't going to be us, to be to be honest. So maintaining that throughout a half is currently a problem. Maintaining it through ninety minutes is obviously another couple of steps on from that. So I don't think Peterborough fans will go away from this thinking we've seen um, a decent, yeah. a great team in action today. They're not going to go
1: and tell all their friends, "Oh, look out for Watford." No. But, but I th- what, 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 what will they say, Jason? What do you think Peterborough fans will say after seeing this game? interesting yeah I, I, I don't think I don't think kids <laughs> there'll be a bit
3: of that I think they obviously weren't happy with the ref there'll probably be comments about the penalty I don't know um, but I, I I don't think there'll be anything that they've seen today that would separate us from what a lot of the championship teams are, are like anyway but uh, maybe they'll they'll probably have is they won't be able to identify with the Watford players as well as yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. as we yeah, can having true. seen them
3: over a, a long stretch of time what they will have seen what has stood out for them is that pace of forestieri mm-hmm. and his and his skills i think as well that would have stood Con-
2: out concerted effort from him i think to stay on his feet today as well after a mm. couple of issues we've had with him one one particular moment so i think it was probably midway through the second half where the ball broke and he got clipped and he thought oh, he's going to go flying here but he he stayed on his feet and and set up a charge from there so that that was encouraging to see. And again, another goes back to the sort of slow um, development, evolution mm.
1: of this of this side. But that's the important thing. It, it is an evolution. It feels from last chat on a podcast to this chat on the podcast, we are evolving.
2: Well, that, the, I think the turning point for a lot of, for, for me certainly, and no doubt uh, Jace as well, that Charlton game, mm. down to 10 men, we thought, right, if we, at half time it's 1 all. Mm. If we can get a draw here, we'll have done well. And you look around and you see, you see, there's sort of a lot. You know, I'm not going to lie. You look around, you see a lot of the lone players. You think, you know, actually, are are they going to fancy this? Are these the uh, all hands to the pump type type guys? And I will tell you what, anyone who doubted them would have gone away from the valley, feeling a bit silly because they yeah, were extraordinary. They put that their play.
3: bodies on the line. I mean, there was a, there was a comment as well. It was moment, right. I think it must have been injury time where a ball's been lumped into space, and Abdi's gone running after it. Say running. I, I think yeah, you described totally. it as being sort of. Running through treacle, I, it, for me, it, me it was like it. it was like I think it Jabberwocky where, where yeah. the other knights he say knee, yeah. you know, where they sort of clump along like comedy horses. If he was wearing a pair of jodhpurs and had a riding crop, mm-hmm. I think it would have suited the situation perfectly. <laughs> It's just he just looked so uncomfortable absolutely shattered and that, given his and maybe that cup.
1: that the Middlesbrough game where we went down to 10 men was only days after that battling performance away at Charlton so maybe then that was even why more, that couldn't happen that
2: was even more deflating i think that because of that excellent performance at Charlton what we wanted to do what we've said is this this team will be good if we can get a bit of consistency and off the back of them, you know what better what better springboard platform than than that away game at Charlton and, and that decision just took the wind out of everybody's yeah, sails, yeah. the, the team, the crowd, and it just all went flat after that. And it's a real shame. Great, great, great that they managed to get a win today. It's, I think, we get, you know, two great away wins. Let's while we did in the, the intervening period between the last podcast, we had two fantastic results. Yeah. And I think we need to make a lot of those because they, they scream character to me. You know, they, when the chips are down, they, 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 they've turned up and they've delivered there. So if we can do that more consistently at home, Things might start to happen. And a great
3: stat: sixty-six point six percent of the goals we've scored in home league wins this year have come from the penalty spot. Oh, do you
2: know I was wondering how many penalties we've had. <laughs> I don't know. It's, we've had sixty-six percent penalties <laughs>
4: <laughs> from the rookery end.
1: So, Mike, you've had the, the entire. Parking clan with you today here at the family day. Yeah, uh, good experience.
2: Very good. Yeah, yeah. They all enjoyed it. Actually, Arlo's the youngest. He was one. He was sort of screaming and clapping. He seemed to realise that they need the team needed him behind him, so uh, he got on board. Yeah, everyone enjoyed it, and I think that's um, it's a great thing that Watford do. Um, it's easy to say you're a family club, but actually to put it in in motion is, is quite another. And they made it very easy for us to get in. I know I wasn't the only one with with big families here today pushed chairs all over the place, stewards couldn't do enough for us, so it's uh, it's
1: excellent, the kids enjoyed it, hopefully they'll want to come back. Um, 15,950. Really good. Great number. Really good, really good. And that man who just writes quite a lot about the uh, the past and the good old days is Lionel Burney. Before the game, Mike, when uh, you were trying to get all those people here to, yeah, to the is, ground, yeah. which is a logistical nightmare. Jason and I met up with Lionel in the pub to talk about... Yet another Watford book out in time for Christmas. It's it's that time of year again where it's uh, time to put your Christmas list together, um, and it's always nice to put something Watford on it. Uh, unfortunately, at our age, the latest Harry Hornet uh, cuddly toy can't go on our Christmas present list. But it's always nice to put a new Watford book on. And for the third year running, Lionel Burney has released uh, a Watford themed book. Uh, first we first book Lionel was uh, was was it four seasons, yep. which came out in 2001. 2001, and then for the last three seasons, you had Enjoy the Game. All About the, the 1980s at the club, mm, yep. uh, 100 Greatest Watford Wins, which mm. is well, the from the last post war, wasn't it?
5: It was, yeah, it does what it says on the tin, yep. though, so it probably will need updating at some
1: point. But. <laughs> and then the new book, you, it's what, you as well as 10 other authors, that's right, uh, and it's called Tales from the Vicarage. It is, how's it? How did the, the idea of it being? lots of you writing a book together come about
5: well um, one of the things that's always struck me is amongst Watford fans is that they think that there's some kind of national press bias against, um, against Watford and in fact, there are a huge number of Watford supporters working in the media. Um, uh, some of them perhaps have gone into PR and stuff these days, but in, in radio, television, national newspapers, they're, we're well represented out there, like a, a sleeper cell we've uh, infiltrated. <laughs> so perhaps it's a kind of double bluff. Maybe the bias is uh, sort of masking some deeply held Hornet feelings. I, I'm not sure. But I knew that there's a lot of people out there um, who might be able to contribute to putting a collection of stories together. And that was that idea was literally as as simple as it came really and i gave i invited 10 other people to contribute asked them to come up with their own ideas i didn't sort of steer them in any direction at all waited to see what they came up with um gave them the okay and then they sent in what i think is a fantastic collection of very varied stories so it worked out perfectly and what what kind of what kind of stories are they well, we've got a real range of stuff. I mean, there was some hard journalism in there. Kevin Affleck's chapter about the, the Boothroyd-Simpson-Ashton axis of... Uh, better, be a ten, better be a little careful there. Um, uh, read Kevin's chapter and, and see what you think. I mean, he, he obviously comes down pretty firmly on one point of view, but it certainly opened my eyes a little bit to some of the stuff I knew floating around at the time. So we've got that. We've got um, Simon Burnton, for example, from The Guardian, who's has looked back at the... The football fans' fear of change, using the 1959-60 season as a kind of way of looking at how fans are, these days fans are suspicious of change. But back then, without a blink of the eye, they accepted a change of shirts from blue to yellow or gold, and they they adopted a new nickname, the Hornets. And he's kind of told that story really nicely. We've got um, more personal pieces about the, the 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 experience of following Watford from John Anderson and Tim Turner. Um, one is a radio broadcaster the other is a a fan who's written a a book of his own um and so their 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 chapters are a little bit more personal and then we've got a real flight of fancy and fantasy by ollie Wicken, who imagines that uh, graham taylor is in fact god and that the the 1982-83 season was a a a sort of otherworldly experiment um personally I, I found that an absolute joy to read um, and it may not be to everybody's taste perhaps it might be a little bit wacky for some but I thought it summed up what what the Watford way is really well and in a completely different way to anything else I've ever read so it's a real variety and I feel bad because I haven't mentioned everyone there but you know Adam Leventhal from Sky has interviewed Malky Mackay and, and Brendan Rogers. Andrew French, is, uh, was the press officer, when Watford were in the Premier League, um, the first time, and he's done a really nice sort of behind-the-scenes um, account of that year. And uh, whoever I've missed out there will be livid, but <laughs> you'll have
1: to buy the book and, and see. The, t- the two things you kind of mentioned: one is that sort of fans always wanting to know what's kind of going on behind the scenes, yes. and um, nuggets can sometimes come out and be changed and. You, know, you, you never know the full picture of what's kind of going on that seems quite an, an interesting thing to know you're never going to know at the time mm-hmm. but knowing how these things happen before a lot of your previous books especially mm-hmm. Enjoy the Game was really getting behind the the, the, the small things that sort the of go detail, on the yeah. detail I think the thing about football fans is
5: they want to know we all want to know what is going on at the moment and actually I think we've talked about this before now is the worst possible time to know what's going on at the moment <laughs> Kevin's chapter demonstrates that very well I looked at the Viali year and stuff that I knew I was able to um, I was able to bring back to the fore about how that year all unfolded um, but at the time no one wanted to hear that no one wanted to know that actually Viali was you know he was he was away with the fairies he was you know as I say in the thing in, in my chapter you know he was he was driving the open top sports car and the directors were in the back enjoying the wind in their hair really no one was in control you know yeah. it, and, and it wasn't until we found out very painfully. Several years later, um, the reality of what had happened there. But at the time, there's a, there's, it's difficult to get. It's difficult to know for a start whether you're a journalist or a fan or a blogger, as as, as uh, the landscape of the media has changed. It's almost impossible to know at the time because stuff gets written off as hearsay, or it, it's you know it's glossed over, or you know we're we we're, we're engaged in this kind of tug of war between what we want to believe and what we actually know, and and, and often we don't we can't stand up what we. What we hear, so I think a little bit of distance is always, um, always welcome um, when it comes to trying to put a particular st- season or a particular era into context.
1: Mm. But it's always, it's always a shame when I used to watch Thunderbirds and you saw the strings, it sort of sport the the whole the whole experience. Let's say an experience of a Watford fan would be. Well, a football fan, any club, knowing too much.
5: I think. At t- I, I
1: think at the time. I think that's certainly true. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, what, what we're all
5: doing today, we're all looking forward to going to a game. It's family day, so we know it's going to be nil-nil or, or one-nil <laughs> win for Peterborough. Yeah. Um, it's it's our diversion, isn't it? And and I agree, knowing too much can uh, can turn a, a very pleasurable hobby into a bit of a bind. And I understand that. But as a journalist, I I I just can't accept that kind of line of thinking it doesn't sit well with me i, I always want to know i want to know more i want to know more peel away the, the layers of the onion to try and find out um you know what's at the middle what's in the middle and, and just hope your eyes don't water too much as you do yeah i think
3: well, that, that probably applies to a lot of other people as well not just the journalists in, in sort of day of social media and having information available to you instantly people are always sort
5: of looking for more and more detailed as to what's going on, yeah. I think the difficulty is knowing what detail to trust and what to discard, mm. and, and sort of wacky rumours can escalate out of control mm. before you before you know it, and then become fact. Um, certain things in my chapter about Viali yes. I knew at the time, got confirmed in the process of writing this book by people who were there at the time. But if you'd said them at the time, if you'd said that Ramon Vega one day came into training, having been hit and, hit by all these fines from Viali for wearing a baseball cap, wearing his own suit and using his mobile phone um, around the club when he w- wasn't supposed to. And he came in and just whacked down a bundle of cash on Vialli's desk and said, there, that's to pay for all my fines, because I like wearing my baseball cap, I like wearing my suit, and I like using my mobile phone. <laughs> if you'd said that at the time, it would have been a bit odd. People wouldn't have known quite how to take it. Mm. They would have thought, well, what's, You know, is this true, is it made up, or, you know... And these kind of things do grow a life of their own but I always think that the process of journalism is about telling a a greater truth. Now the detail of that particular anecdote um, I'm very confident in but other little stories you hear which may or may not be absolutely true, they all add to what is a greater truth and that really is what journalism is all about it's about presenting the the picture as accurately as you possibly can Um, and hopefully Uh, I think Kevin has certainly done that um, in his chapter, it might be uncomfortable reading for people in places because again, who wants to read about the downfall after the the high of the the party and the promotion to the premiership, it makes uncomfortable reading but I I think informative and um, hopefully uh, if it's not enjoyable, it will add something to their understanding of that that era
1: Okay, so where can we get it?
5: Waterstones in the Harlequin Centre or in other Waterstones locally or on my website, Lionelburney.com.
1: OK, well, get on your Christmas present list and uh,
4: make sure Santa gets in on your letter. It's already on mine. Stay in the loop and get involved on facebook.com slash End.
1: Here
2: it is, a collection of historic and intriguing items, that define Watford Football Club. Oh, it's Watford in 100 objects!
1: We are still on our search for 100 objects to that define Watford Football Club. A couple of classics in John Barnes on the last podcast. Yeah, if mate. you haven't listened to that one yet, make sure you download the podcast. Uh, a, a proper Watford legend in John Barnes. And did you notice
2: in... how, uh, his appearance on our podcast prompted the BBC to uh, do a uh, Who Do You Think You Are about it? <laughs> <He> did, <laughs> yeah, clearly. Uh, well, no
1: no, thanks, I don't think. We no. did get, but... Uh... We know it, though. We know it. Yeah. Right. Um, this month, we have two objects going in related to two men who were the four, well, the four figures of Watford on the internet. The first object we're putting in is the Bsad server the original server where the Bsad website was put onto it? So this is
2: blind, stupid, and desperate. We must point out
1: the Watford fans' original website, uh, set up by Ian Grant. I caught up with him before Middlesbrough game, telling us how such a thing started way back then. What made you start? The, what, what can we consider the first Watford football fan? The, the, internet the thing. starting point was I, I worked for a, for a. Uh,
6: a multimedia company at the time, and they basically challenged each of us to, in an attempt to find out what this whole internet thing was all about, <laughs> um, to kind of think of something to put online. So at that point, I put online a couple of match reports. Match reports, in the very loosest sense, it has to be said. Very kind of sketchy, kind of uh, bits and pieces of, of reaction to, to games. The uh, game against Portsmouth on Boxing Day. 1994 was the, first, was the first of those. So it kind of started without, without any particular purpose at all, really, and then uh, very quickly became uh, obvious that nobody else was doing that because it was still early days in terms of the internet, and, uh, and I guess it all snowballed from there. For you, what did it grow into? For me, and, uh, and when Matt came on board as well, I think it grew into, I guess, an online Watford fanzine. So it was, it was contributed to by a lot of different people wasn't just Matt and, Matt and me. And I guess you know, it grew into what I hope was a vehicle for reasonably intelligent quality writing yeah. about Watford. I, I've, I've always thought when Saturday comes was the benchmark when it came to football writing. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I would be happy if, I, if it was thought of as being a bit like that, only for Watford only. Kind of do, you, thing. do you
1: have a favourite article that you, you ever oh got? It wasn't just match reports, though, was
6: it? It wasn't just match reports. No, it was match reports and previews, I guess, as a kind of weekly structure. But no, we had all sorts of other stuff. Um, we had we had quite a few things that had nothing to do with Watford whatsoever. We had a particular favourite of mine was that we had a correspondent from Bangladesh <laughs> who quite regularly he was a Watford fan, but he quite regularly wrote pieces about kind of travelogue stuff, I suppose, <laughs> about Bangladesh. Nothing to do with Watford whatsoever, but it was brilliant stuff, brilliant <laughs> writing. There was a there was a section of the of the site which
7: which Well it was called the Hall of Arse, which um, <laughs> We had a Hall of Fame, of course, but the Hall of Arts was, well, you, you can imagine, sort of testimonies of the players that had not quite lit up Vicarage Road. Yeah. And a, an ex-Watford player who shall remain nameless took offence at his particular entry and, uh, and sent a perhaps ill-advised email objecting in, in sort of fairly aggressive terms <laughs> to, the, to, the, to, to, to the, how he'd been described. I think we had both... But I think the article was written by somebody else. It was contributed rather than what, penned by me or my, myself or Ian... And we had felt it was rather harsh at the time, but felt less guilty about it, having read the correspondence that followed, <laughs> which, was, which uh, informed us that, you know, he, he'd, be, he, he'd be thinking he was working in a fish factory where we probably worked while he was driving around on his porch, or worse to that effect.
8: Yeah,
6: <laughs> OK. Right. Mick, Mick Quinn, on the other hand, re- reproduced his, his Hall of ass piece in its entirety in his autobiography. That <laughs> 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 was very nice of him. <laughs> paid for that or didn't no I didn't, I didn't, fair, to be fair his ghostwriter did, did write and ask and okay. you know more, more than happy for him to use it but it was as you can imagine Mick Quinn's loan spell not having been a glorious thing um, it wasn't a terribly polite piece
1: it may have referenced his size on a couple of occasions
6: <laughs> a <couple.
8: laughs>
1: uh, and why why did it, it, it come to, to to a finishing
6: I guess uh, life just caught up with us both really um, and I, I work on computers all day every day um, and, and BSAD was increasingly meaning that I'd spent my entire life on a computer. Um, Matt had started a family, um, and I guess we kind of reached a natural point where the, the amount of time that it was taking up, we couldn't really justify anymore. We couldn't really keep going anymore. Girlfriends so and eh? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it, normal life caught up with us. Um, it, was, it was certainly several hours a day of, of stuff Wow. <laughs> at its peak. Okay. Very understanding yeah. employers.
1: And, and you can still go to that website. It's still live. An archive. Uh, an it's a archive. treasure trove. It? Yeah, it is. And you can still look at the Hall of Ars and, and, and figure out which player might have had a complaint to send the boys. Uh, I go to fairly regularly to look up player profiles of, of that era. You know, that, the, the ten years or so it was, it was active. It is the best source, I think, for information. It's
2: really good, yeah. And if you ever find yourself with sort of, you know, you get half memories. I think I can remember when in uh, '93 we were at home to uh, Swansea in the uh, auto windscreen shield. <laughs> you won't remember that because that and never happened, but you know, that sort of thing. You can yeah, go back you can and find and look, it. And while you're there, you will undoubtedly find a whole load of other brilliant stuff. Really um, nicely written, intelligently written, very funny. Loads of stuff. I'd, I'd urge you to go and check it out.
1: BeSad.org.
2: Yeah, blind, stupid, and desperate, which sums us all up, doesn't it? Really,
1: Ooh, a little bit. Yeah, the, uh, the second object comes off the, the, from from, uh, from Matt, uh, who you heard at the end of that interview, who was uh, Ian's uh, one of his Ian's co-editor, co-editor of, of BeSad. They after the, the they they stopped it. They set up Be Happy which is still going today, and you can read the blogs on their website. Uh, BeHappy.org. When they started it, they they came up with what I love, a silly idea um, to, to poke fun at the Premier League. And it's something that they did that was all to do with vegetables.
7: Be Sad ceased to exist at the start of the Premiership season, so in, in August 2006. Ian and I started up Be Happy as a blog, and we wanted content, we wanted ideas. We had a very drunk end of season conversation a couple of years earlier about, you know, sort of hypothesizing about what we could. Through BSA, organise in a football ground. Could we have a barbecue? If We got someone to <laughs> smuggle in the charcoal, someone to smuggle in the, you know, the, the sausages and whatever else. And this morphed into the into the vegetables, fruit and vegetables idea, uh, abetted by the fact that the Premiership, whatever else it is, takes itself incredibly seriously, which is fine when you're winning games, but not so much fun when you're when you're not winning games. Yeah. And yeah, we, the idea was we nominated a item of green grocery um, for every away fixture and we asked as many people as possible to smuggle said item in, into, into the ground to get the results photographed with uh, uh, whatever with a courgette or with a did, um, watermelon or <laughs> did you have a favourite vegetable well we all, we, we built it up as it went along. It became more and more uh, ambitious as the season went on we started off with a banana which is you know fairly low key but the, the watermelon. yellow Indeed, and yellow. Um, but the watermelons at Reading at the end of the season were, were, yeah, were a particular highlight. And uh, there's a picture of David Messenger, who was a very reluctant participant, half-heartedly holding a lemon. <laughs> I think I might have been I don't know, I bolting away. But that's my favourite picture of the, of the entire piece, just because he so clearly didn't want to be there, but felt obliged to be.
1: Wait, wait, so was there a, a direct influence on why vegetables? Uh, no, absolutely not. Not really.
7: We just it, it just sort of got... As we ran out of things. I think that there was always a plan to be to be to start small and, and grow as the season went on <laughs> as, 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 as it became boring. And then we featured on, on I think it was Match of the Day 2 or Match of the Day itself
1: I can't remember. We
6: did do Brussels sprouts at Christmas. Oh, well, you've seen it no, all then. A so, you know, little, little bit topical.
1: <laughs> I do love a silly idea. You'd never,
2: you'd never have guessed it. Uh,
1: and vegetables are the first healthy thing that we've put into our list. Uh, if you have got an object... Give us an email, podcast at fromthebrookend.com. It can be a personal object for you. It can be an object that defines, that you think defines Watford Football Club. Anything.
2: The world is your oyster, your Watford-based oyster. We, what we need from you is that yellow, red and black little pearl <laughs> from inside that shell. We know they're out there. Let us know and they go on the list. It's going to be an amazing
1: list when it's finished. We'd love you to be a part of it. Uh, still a long way to go. Remember, send us an email, podcast at
0: fromtherookend.com. This is Britta Omolonga doing the congo on from the Ruffery End.
1: Whilst we're in the pub, it was always worth picking at Lionel's mind. He's a journalist, he knows a lot about the world of journalism and Watford have been in the press quite a lot. Mm. In the big boys' press, not just Frank and the Observer on their weekly basis.
2: Well I'm not Frank is a big boy. I'll say he's a big boy, I don't really know. <laughs>
1: but you know what I mean he's yeah. grown up I we, think. we can yeah. put that rumour out there oh jeez <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're getting some tension Mike do you like it?
2: do you know what I kind of do but it might get so defensive <laughs> I'm saying so, I think I'm like every football fan like that and it's nice that people are taking notice of us I think it shows that something's happening here um, all of a sudden we're having to find ourselves more often than not defending our club now it feels like with a bit of I don't think anyone's saying, oh, look at Watford, aren't they brilliant? I wish they were my team. It's more a case of, what the hell, you know, their Udinese C team, all the, all the jokes that you'd expect. And and there's been some more barbed criticism from, from journalists sort of, who have been taking a look at the bigger picture and our place in the game and, and suggesting that really what, what we're trying to achieve here is something pretty bad, which I can understand. I, well, know, I know a lot, you know, we've, we've said this so far this season, a lot of Watford fans are betwixt and between there's a real divide between how people feel and I think people are finding it hard to nail their colours firmly to the mast at the moment because while the team is performing quite nicely on the pitch you know we're getting there it's still very different and so if Watford fans are, are not sure I can understand why, why national journalists are seeing a sort of crack in the door and, and sort of booting, booting their way through it and, and writing not
1: well we spoke to a lot about intellect. those two articles one from Jason Burt in the Telegraph but we had to start yeah. off Talking about the Martin Samuels
9: article in the Daily Mail, which started with this headline Why Watford are a snapshot of all that's wrong with the modern game? That angered a, a few Watford fans, but the article sort of focused on the, the number of lone players Watford have had from the Pozzo clubs. The point is, it shouldn't be allowed to work, it shouldn't be allowed, period. No club should be able to put out an entire starting 11 of lone players, plus three subs. No club should have 10 players, almost a team, registered to one generous donor. Watford has been transformed overnight into Udinese finishing school, with all the loss of identity that entails. Champions of the loan system see its contribution as necessary, even beneficial, spreading talent and helping bring through young players who otherwise find their first-team opportunities limited. Many of the world's finest footballers have sometimes gained valuable experience through a temporary transfer, yet even the loan defenders must be unnerved by what is unfolding at Watford. This is a club with a history. A club that came through four divisions to challenge for the English title. Uh, that nurtured future England managers that produced one of the finest English players of the modern era. In John Barnes, it is not old and Easy's tool. At the very least, there should be a limit on the loan intake in any one season or from any one club. He also brought a question the changes to Watford's youth setup the championship gap year may be beneficial to Easy too but what are the products of Watford's own academy to make of this policy when attracting youngsters a key selling point for any club outside the premier league is that it will by necessity Give young talent a chance.
1: So, Jason, why did, did that initial article sort of anger Watford fans?
3: It obviously was a, a quite a negative article. Mike talked about in the blog piece uh, sort of a lack of context to the article and some of that that people saying, well, let's make it more balanced, stop looking at everything that's wrong. But it was, it was, yeah, sort of highlighting the pitfalls uh, of so the project.
1: Yes, yeah, the thing maybe we were trying to shy away from is Lionel sort of talked about about the preview, but Lionel, you know, you're, you're a journalist and we're not right. going to blame you for everything journalists do, but in terms of his, his journalistic approach to that article, he used Watford as very much the, as an the example about the loan system. Made some ridiculous points, I suppose, unfounded points, but actually didn't make some very good points about the loan system in the whole country. Yeah,
5: I mean, my concern is that this is a precedent setter. What happens if, for argument's sake, Leicester or Wolves or Burnley sign up with Milan, Inter and Juventus, and then suddenly they're getting a better class of, of borrowed player than we are? What you know that would absolutely alter the landscape of English football, particularly at a time when St George's Park is trying to develop, or is going to hopefully develop some English players to, to fill clubs in the Championship, rather than having to import them all from Spain or Italy or you know Eastern Europe or wherever. And I've got nothing against foreign players at all. I you know I'm not I'm not uh, sort of little Englander about it. But the point that Martin Samuel made was that this this uh, model whilst it may well work for Watford if it becomes uh, the, the the template by which all other clubs of our sort of size begin to operate what, what will we be left with we'll be left with a kind of you know a, a sort of uh, a huge kind of vat of players to pick from Um, you know is this one any good keep him for a year send him back that one's no good send him back get another one in what what really are we identifying with there and and a lot of fans won't care about that they will just say these guys are great and those guys are rubbish and they won't have developed any emotional attachment to the ones who aren't here very long and they'll be able to get over it when somebody else moves on now that's always been the case in, in football players come and go a club like Watford. You know, we were fortunate in the 80s to have John Barnes for six years. That wouldn't happen now. Ashley Young moved on after, what, a couple of seasons, really. So... But the problem with Martin Samuel's article is that it's for a broad readership. It's not written for Watford supporters. It's written for a broad Daily Mail readership. It's got to grab the attention. It's probably based on a lot more knowledge than any of us have got around the table. Because from covering cycling, I know that journalists know an awful lot more about things that perhaps you'd be surprised they would would to, surprise to know they know about. You know, these football journalists—they go around in a in a almost like a gaggle of geese, they know everything, they hear everything, they speak to each other, so as a journalist reading that, I looked at it and thought he's getting at something, now he might not be able to stand it up, he might not be able to demonstrate it in print at this time, but to me it was like an amber, amber light to actually let's stand back and listen to what he's saying and sort of pick the bones out of it really, rather than just dismiss it as we don't want to hear that, so therefore we're going to put our hands over our ears, because I don't think that's constructive at all, it's, it's natural to be very defensive but all of the blog comments and the, and the people on Twitter and, uh, and, and and on the internet all saying that Martin Samuel is an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about that, that was based on zero facts as well mm. if, if you're going to take the point that Martin yeah, yeah, Samuel yeah. doesn't know what he's talking about well Okay, bring your facts to the table and actually tell us what's going on. The big problem is, like last year with Bassini, the big problem is we don't really know what's going on. All we ever know is what we're told, and we can choose to believe or, or not believe.
1: And that's one of the problems we've had since you know the, the Pozzo family took over. Um, we had the initial sort of release from them um, as a, as a, an owner. Um, and we haven't had any sort of discussions yet with uh, anything major from the, the men running the football club. Now, we do have the Fans Forum coming up on the 1st of November where we can speak to them. We can't speak to the, the family because there's no one being represented there. But Gianno Pozzo um, had an article, an interview in the Daily Telegraph um, with Jason Burt. Uh, and he's starting to give us some ideas about how the family views the club's recent position in the transfer market.
8: If you look at the recent history of Watford, the project was we need to sell all our best players as soon as an offer comes because there weren't any financial resources to hold them. That meant that all the clubs in the Premier League and lots of clubs in the Championship looked appealing to the player as a better place to go. Now, the idea is to move the club into a different level, where the player himself feels there are very few choices that are better. We want those choices to come down to Barcelona, Real Madrid, and so on. The players who leave Udinese are moving to AC Milan, into Juventus, or a couple of clubs in Spain and a, f- a few clubs in England.
1: He, of course, had to comment on the uh, club's uh, youth, and he, he particularly brought up the previous long-term commitments to our young
8: Hornets. We were not surprised that a a club that works with young players is not committed to young players. They had one, two-year contracts. Why? It was a mixed message. By changing that idea to say that the players are here to fully develop to a top, top level, they will sign longer contracts for the next three or four years. Everyone is starting to understand that.
1: And there's also some (laughs) lovely advice for the Watford fans.
8: Watford fans need to relax and can enjoy this process. There is no cosmic mix to enable us to win, but we understand what works and what we have to do. And if we're not performing at the top level, it's because we need more time and there's more work to do.
1: Um, So still no firm answers. Personally, I actually quite like that, the fact he wasn't going out there to give us answers to sort of appease Watford fans, um, because... If you give out facts, as Mr Bassini did last year, then all of a sudden it becomes um, elaborate promises which aren't always keepable. So it was, there was a certain sort of realistic comfort I had from that. But Lionel, he's, I mean, we talked a lot about you know, our, our sort of views on this, on this new family that we, we have. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling as a, as a Watford fan towards them at the moment?
7: Well...
5: First thing to point out is that the club didn't really have a choice in things. You know, it was, as I said to you before, um, Watford was low-hanging fruit. Um, the Pozzos wanted to um, wanted to broaden their their uh, their operation. They've already obviously got Udinese in Italy, Granada in Spain. It's been long rumored that they they wanted an English club to kind of basically strengthen the base of their operation Um, the the father or as uh, Filippo Galli said in my chapter in the book the godfather which I think (laughs) is a Freudian slip um, Signor Pozzo he, um, he is obviously building something the sun is there to kind of take it on because uh, Mr Pozzo's in his 70s Yeah, you know th- th- they've got obviously a long term business vision here and Watford just happened to be the English arm of it I like to um, a shut window
8: <laughs> <Or, or laughs>
5: The place window. to sell, sell yeah. players yeah. basically yeah um, it's a place to get experience for players because the second tier of the English league is far yeah. more competitive far higher level than Serie B or uh, whatever the, the La Liga 2 is in, in Spain so from their point of view it makes perfect sense. From Watford's point of view, the Bassini ownership was was leading down a cul-de-sac and it had they had to escape from that. They they had no choice but to the club had no choice but to try and um, you know Find another way, but it, but it's like swinging from branch to branch at the moment, and and you're just hoping that they're going to hang on, you know, the club's going to hang on to something. But it, it's just it's, it was it was always like a
1: craving for stability is actually what every football fan wants. I mean, I don't if, I wouldn't I don't know if you could even call Manchester City a stable football club, um, with the sort of you know, at this point in, in their development. I think it's, it's what
3: happens at the other end. What happens when it goes wrong or? When the current owners want to go and do something else, and I think I've already said that before, I and mean, probably the same applies to Manchester City. They're probably more likely to attract uh, a big money buyer than we are. But yeah, what happens with all these loan players that are in? Do we lose all them straight
1: away, and we're left with a, a, a nothing squad, an empty squad? Well, I, I, I you know, Sam was did talk about that loan system, and I kind of get the idea that. They're called loans because that's the technicality that you have to call them for. For it, and in the you know for, for the situation, they can only sign one-year loan deals. Um, they, the the company that owns the the the, the players' um, rights, let's call them, can't sort of sell them on for for tuppence just to Watford to make them Watford players. Is it more like? And he talked about it in the article, the Telegraph article, that. They would probably be here for two to three seasons, mm. just as long as we had Danny Graham. Mm. Um, is it more? I can't remember. Someone told me the phrase, and I can't remember who it was. Apologise, but it was more. The phrase was, "Are they on secondment from yeah. another department?" I
5: think I think that's a good way of putting it. I mean, the, mm. the, the problem is that we don't know the detail. We're all some people will will latch on to certain things they've read or heard and assume that that's actually a fact. You know, whether it be that. Some people think they're loans. Some people think that, that obviously, the players are contracted to whoever whoever they were contracted to before. Who owns them? My argument would be that if there's one benefit to this, it's brought down the wage bill. It's making Watford as a business probably more um, viable. Perhaps they will show that over time it will lose less money as a business. But the uncomfortable truth is... That a football club the size of Watford can only keep its head above water if it has no wage bill, really, because the football wages that is the problem. The unsustainable nature of the football wages is the problem, and perhaps the Pozzo's model of having clubs in three territories, which can all share that burden and move players around as and when they're needed. Um, Perhaps that is going to be the future, and I think that's where the uneasiness in the whole of this comes. What no-one is tackling is the fact that football players' wages are too high mm. for the size of the business.
1: And, and, and no-one
5: is tackling that. And and, and and until they do, we're just going to be going from one failed model to another failed model and, and just... Somebody, at least the Pozzo family, has looked at it and gone, this is a kind of left-field way to try and tackle this problem. Whether it's good for Watford in the long term, I'm not entirely sure. Whether it's good for football in the long, time, long term, I'm not entirely sure. But if the by-product of it is in, is that we bring down the cost and make the club less of a liability in terms of the amount of money it loses every year then you know in the short term let's take baby steps that has to be seen as a good thing whether I can personally as a supporter um, latch on to players who you know 15 players
1: coming in and you know it,
5: it just but do, you know, fine, really. but,
1: but do you not know, find though as you get got older I have as a football fan i got older I don't sort of latch on to these players in the same way when I was seven I absolutely no. adored John Barnes are they are they that different? Uh,
5: I, I think that even as an adult man with a with a fairly measured view of the world, you still have to be able to sit down this afternoon and go right. I'm, I know who these people are, and I'm looking forward to seeing them play. And yeah. I, you know, I know the various you know shortcomings of this guy and the strengths of that guy. Having just a kind of you know. A, a paddling pool of bodies to pick from on a um, on a weekly basis and, and oh well, this guy's good and, and the thing that winds me up most particularly with social media is how quick everybody is to say that this guy's brilliant and this guy's mm-hmm. rubbish I mean I have no doubt that one or two of them are very good players but let's judge them on a little more than 20 minutes of a substitute in a League Cup tie yeah. that we lost or you know whatever it's just this kind of deranged rush towards self-affirmation that this is okay you know well at the moment it's not that okay is it because we're, we're, we're solidly mid-table losing pretty much <coughs> losing at home and, and perhaps winning away so far the development has been pretty pretty piecemeal and pretty steady now it may well be that we go on an amazing run but whenever I hear that I just think of the Viali season because I spent eight months assuming that we were going to go on an amazing run <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: I just, ask, I just want to add something actually to what you talking about on the business side of things, talking about um, the wage bill and everything. And the, the club have talked about, or the Pozzos have talked about, making Watford sort of more uh, sustainable, sort of self-funding, and getting them into the Premier League. And those two things seem to be tied in together. And, and the message is... Get into the Premier League, and you'll be all right. It's like if you're a, if you're one of the other seventy two clubs playing in the football league, it's almost impossible
1: to run yourself as a sort of self sustainable business, which is which is wrong, isn't it? Well, that's the maybe you know, Mr. Samuels was saying there's a problem with the loan system, but as long as he said, the problem. Is with football, <laughs> and the, the other problem is that there are forty clubs who all
5: think they can be mid-table in the Premier League, mm. and that is not only is that the limit of ambition now, but that is unrealistic for about thirty-five of those clubs because at any one time only five or six clubs can be mid-table in the Premier League. It, it's a kind of, it's the media distortion of the football world is what leads to uh, unrealistic expectations by supporters and leads us all into thinking well. We, we start thinking in cliches. We start thinking about if we can just get on a good run, if we can just... Well, hang on a minute. Cardiff and Leicester already looking like two pretty yeah. decent sides after 10 or 11 games, and we're playing catch-up. So football, the actual mechanics of football and the league table never changes, but we seem to have fallen for this kind of uh, sky-driven, media-driven uh, way of thinking and, and talking about the game. At the end of the day, all accounts, if, if the players... if, if Zola can take these ingredients, these this this, uh, this ready, steady cook ingre- bag of <laughs> ingredients, you know, a, a mango and a tin of sardines and a tomato and a and some pasta, and make them into something. Then we'll have a good season. If he can't, that's the point at which we wonder what is the next step. Do we just clear them all out and get another bunch in? If that's yeah. the case, that's going to lose its appeal for me anyway, fairly
3: quickly. Trouble yeah. is, I think he's probably gone over his uh, ready, steady cook ingredients quota, so he's probably
4: squatty. <laughs>
1: many brothers and sisters here at the, uh, the family day. Loads. We have our brothers and uh, over. Forza Zabrata! <laughs> and, not, and let's not forget our sisters and either. our sisters. We have our brothers in Spain, and Granada, our brothers in Eudanesi, which by the way, three Eudanesi shirts at the game today we saw. Three get behind Udinese people. One of them was a yellow away shirt or something, which looked quite good.
2: That's a dedication that us uh, have. <laughs> um,
1: I've got Granada in Spain. Uh, Jason looks after the uh, sisters, um, the uh, the Watford ladies team, and of course the the everyone else has has Watford. We're trying to see who's going to be the best this year in what we call our Pozzo League. Jason is the the keeper of the Pozzo League. Jason, oh, and looking after. Uh, all the games so far? This well, we've, we've had a bit of a shift for the for the battle for Wooden Spoon. Granada okay. were bottom okay.
3: because they have won, um, I think they won their last two games, the last one being against Mallorca, and that sort of shifted them above Udinese, who oh. are now bottom. Oh.
2: It's so great. The they fall.
3: But it has to be said, the ladies are flying. They've got after a great start in the Women's Premier League this season, and they are still averaging two points a game at the moment. Way, the way, Watford. way ahead. Watford, Watford second at 1.3. Another 1.14, Udinese, 0.86. So There's a bit is, of work to do there.
1: This is the average uh, point per game so in so all league right? games. So what for ladies still at the top of the league and your little zebrettas. They're poised in on the pack. Rig.
2: They're ready to strike like a uh, thoroughbred racehorse just coming up on the rails. Okay. Underestimate them at your peril.
1: Well, uh, keep up to date with the Pozzo League on the blog at fromtherookeryend.com.
4: Got something to send the boys? Then email podcast at fromtherookeryend.com.
1: We've had a lot of loanies from, uh, from Udinese. I like saying that word, Udinese. <laughs> uh, we've also had, Jason, we've had a, a young lad come in from Chelsea. Mm. He's doing all right, isn't he? He is, because it, it's a strange one, isn't it? At the time,
3: we, said, we had most of the loanies in place anyway, and then uh, Nathaniel signed from Chelsea, and a lot of people, myself included, so I had a look and went, it seems like one loanie, too many, this lad. Why, why do we need to loan someone from another club when he's not part of this big Pozzo project family thing? What's the point? He's only 17. What's he going to add to the team? Oh, how wrong
2: was I? 17, Mike. Yeah, unbelievable. And being reminds, t- me, reminds me of the 17-year-old uh, Rookery Mike. Actually. <laughs> what what aspect? Uh, tall, rangy, powerful, <laughs> um, cool, sixteen, cool, cool-headed. Sure. Cool. I was sitting drinking cider underneath a <laughs> swing or a, some sort of slide in a park when I was 17.
9: He is.
1: He doesn't come across as 17 years old. And it was the first thing I had to ask him when I caught up with him in the Hornet shop the other day. Can I just, first of all, can I double check? You, you are 17, 17 years old? Yeah, old? yeah. Do you have any idea on you? Because we don't believe yeah. it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I do. Actually, <laughs> going to take my Go on on, then. <laughs> no he said that. Go on, then. <laughs> Yes, 12, 12, 94.
1: 1994. That's really <laughs> annoying. So you're not quite half my age, but you're pretty close. We've seen a lot of loan players come in, Tom Tom cleverly yeah. and sort of making a, an impact quite quickly. And you've mm-hmm. certainly not not been shy on on the pitch. And quite cool. How how at age of seventeen playing football in front of a thousand people, do you keep your? Do you, do you think you, you keep your cool?
0: Uh, I don't really know. I wouldn't have an answer myself, really. But um, it's just. I've always been like that. Play when when I play, I um, uh, always seem to be relaxed on the ball, and and I just really I want to get it down it and play. So, and that's what I enjoy doing. So mm-hmm. I just even try not to try not to look too too phased if 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 it's going wrong for me at any time on the pitch. So yeah, it's just the way I am. I think. Is it, do you think is it in terms of your
1: development? Because it's a skill that every player should have. Is there anything particularly you think? when you've been developing as a footballer that that would have led to that was it say a a certain coach you had or a certain situation that you might have helped yeah
0: yeah there there are many aspects but um i mean i could mention coaches i had people just helping me with the way i play and and uh, trying to implement a certain way of of style for the kind of way that i play and um and i think that's that's probably one of the the main reasons that of the way i am right now but um, I think it's also really confidence if you're playing football and you're enjoying it and you, you you've I mean you've played it all your life really then it's something you enjoy doing and you just really want to progress and do the same things week in week out and that's what I'm trying.
1: Cool. Well, we, when we first heard you were coming we were told you were centre-back but yeah. you've sort of been playing in midfield yeah. can you play do you play anywhere is it a favourite position?
0: Uh, yeah I don't have a favourite I mean I enjoy playing in midfield the holding all that I'm playing at the moment uh I'm really enjoying it but um. I I can play centre back as well. And uh, centre forward? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Played before in my younger age as well, not not now.
1: What about goalkeeper? Any chance there? No, 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 okay. I don't know about that. Um, you you, you, you you've captain England under nineteen. Yeah. How's that when you go from being a captain and a leader on the pitch to being in the in the squad like a young another one of the young lads?
0: Oh, um, uh, there's not really I mean when, we, when you go on international stages, I mean, everyone everyone knows the talent there is. Everyone knows that obviously if you aren't good enough, you won't be where you are. And and um, I think everyone's really got that sort of respect for each other. And regardless of your age or or whatsoever, you just get welcomed in anyway. So on the pitch, I'll just try and be a leader. Off the pitch, we'll just, we'll just all get along because... Mm. Because that's just how we are,
1: really. Young lads get to play football. Yeah, we amazing. just play.
0: Yeah, and play FIFA and stuff like that. So it's alright. Okay. So when, when you're going
1: for um, a loan, did you have any say though in terms of did, did Chelsea come to you in saying we're going to send you out on loan this year?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Here's yeah some options just, for you. Because it was so the so? yeah, it was the first time that I'd been on loan, so so they they had to they had the say with it, and um, I also had to agree with it as well. And and I mean, I thought, yeah, why not? Six months gets me out, gets me some experience, mm. and yeah.
1: And how is how is it different? How is Watford to Chelsea different? What's it like for you as a footballer? How are they different?
0: Uh, I, I don't. I couldn't really. I mean, it's still it's still football, and I just in my eyes I just see it as football. Right. And at the end of the day, I just just want to keep playing. But I don't. I don't really like compare how both clubs are because it's still you know you're around the same. You're around the first team, and it's like being around the first team at Chelsea. You're around players of different nationalities, like being being at Chelsea. So there's not really much difference for me at the moment. It's just um, going away and playing different teams. That's probably what I'm I'm getting used to at this moment in time, and I'm enjoying it as well. Who's
1: actually at Watford? Have you kind of found a fatherly, older brother type figure?
0: <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah, I get, I get a bit of stick from Troy Deeney about how Fitz Hall's my dad, so <laughs> okay. so I don't. <laughs> yeah, Troy Deeney gives everyone stick really good.
1: If you had a theme song yeah. that you came on to, what would it be, like a wrestler?
0: Yeah, probably Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> no, <it's> motivation. <laughs> That's what came into my head first time. <laughs> we'll go with that one. Or or the world's greatest, R. Kelly. I'm
2: um, that star up in the sky, I'm um, that mountain peak up high. Hey, I made it
1: mm,
0: I'm the world's greatest okay, yeah. That's a great choice by the way Have you had a favourite moment,
1: favourite moment so far Being here at Watford?
0: When Armand Addi stepped up and put that free kick And it started sugar to charge, <laughs> that was That was incredible
1: Could you be behind it a couple of games Yeah, because we, we, we had ten, 10 men
0: So that was, just a, that was just the best feeling
4: A podcast made by Watford fans, fans For Watford fans From the rookery end
1: Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, we won't be back for... Uh,
2: so we're as, we, as we record this tale, then, we can see uh, Fernando Forstieri sort of waiting at the uh, corner of Vicarage Road. Uh, apparently waiting for a lift. I was just <laughs> I say, I he's waiting for his mum to come we, and pick him up. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, uh, half he's expecting his... a sort of little pizza delivery moped to come uh, into... <laughs> which reminds me of the song that uh, was born after that Charlton game. He was flying through the air that night. His boots were bright. Fernando... So if you
1: can finish off that song, let us know. Podcast, uh, <laughs> we end up the that's day. where you get in touch with us. Uh, but thanks for listening. Uh, we we'll be back next month for into, another yeah. podcast. Yeah. But thank you to, to Lionel for, for being involved. Thank you for Matt and, uh, and Ian for their, uh, their contributions for the uh, for hundred objects. Uh, thank you to, to Nathaniel for Abe having the oldest name in the world, uh, but for, for getting involved and showing us his ID. And also to confirm he was born in nineteen ninety. Four. And also thank you to him for being brilliant as well. Oh, yeah. He has been, he has been yeah. absolutely outstanding. It's a, a much better month to be ending on as a Watford fan after our previous podcast finished with four defeats um, and a draw. We, we've had a couple of wins and we're back on track. Three wins. Three wins. I played us there. Yeah. Three wins. Coming up, we've got, uh, we've got Cardiff away on Tuesday. Yeah. They're pretty good. They're doing all right. Oh, right. They're flying, yeah, absolutely. Um, Blackburn away. It's gonna to be tough. That's a tough one. Leicester at home. Doing well as well. Tough.
2: Millwall at home. Wonderful. These are the fixtures you dream of as a boy, aren't Leeds they? Leeds away. Wolves at home. Tough. Blackpool away. Cool. This is why I don't look at the fixture list. You know, that's um, great that we're gonna be tested against these players, these teams. If you you know, if we're gonna do well and we're gonna start progressing, we're gonna to need to start you know, start beating these teams yeah. or at least competing with them. Cardiff will be a great test. Blackburn, likewise. So I think we'll, you know, in a week's time, this time in a week, um, after that, that that Blackburn game, we'll have a really good idea of how tough and solid this, this team is. We we sung their praises for their performance at Charlton and Huddersfield, two promoted teams. Let's not forget. So,
1: but if we're going to, we are, we're always going to have to play these what would be perceived as bigger, better, more, fun, better funded teams, Jason. But it's kind of good it's happening now.
3: Yeah. It's well, you've got to
1: play them at some point. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not at the uh, beginning uh, of the season. When we were still know. sorting ourselves out.
3: You say that, but then it's the same for other clubs as well. I mean, the likes of Blackburn, who are adjusting to life in the Championship, and Cardiff, off the back of another disappointing playoff um, end to their season. It's uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's sometimes it's good to get them out of the way. Perhaps now they've they've obviously set themselves uh, off on the right foot. Certainly Cardiff haven't and it might be that we don't want to be playing now because they've got that momentum going I haven't said that they were 2-0 down at Forest today so I don't know how that finished no. but it, it's, it's, it's a funny old game football as someone once said and you never can tell whether it's a good or a bad time to play teams you get these strange results and uh, bring them on yeah, bring so, them on so, so <laughs> don't you be playing them now or if we're playing them in, in three months time you know, we
2: we'll take on all cameras. we've got to play them, take them on. we've got we'll to take play them we've got players now at this football club who are more than capable of playing in the Premier League. I'll put that out there now. Mm. Abdi is a touch of class. I think Forrest, yeah, he's a bit he's a bit rough and ready, but he, he diff- he's different class to what we've had, had previously. We've got these players. Let's start putting them to use. Let's get this team together. Let's go and take them on. Give them, let, let, let Cardiff worry about us on Tuesday night. Get that quiet, get their crowd quiet. We'll do it, you know. Come on. Oh, for that? Yeah.
1: Come on then. Yellows, come on! Come on, Yawns. We can do it. But we can do it.